Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, we get the opportunity to share with you part two of our incredible conversation with Damon West. You guys, if you haven't listened to part one yet, you must go back and listen. Damon was known as the uptown burglar in the Dallas area and was eventually caught and sentenced to life in prison. How did he get out? What did it feel like walking out of prison as a free man? What new technology blew his mind? And how did he become such good friends with all these famous people like Ed Milet, John Gordon, Dabo Sweeney? There are so many great parts in this second episode. We can't wait for you to hear part two of this amazing conversation with Damon West. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery. Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future, followed by miscarriage, and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis. However, today, we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is being presented to you by Luby Companies, a custom home builder here in central Ohio. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. All right, listeners, just like last week in part one with Damon West, we want to make parents aware of what you're about to hear, just in case you have some little ones in the car with you right now. Now, Damon's story is absolutely incredible, and nothing he says is inappropriate at all. However, he does talk about what prison life was actually like and how at one point he thought about taking his own life while he was in prison. Depending on the age of your children, this could be a really good teaching moment with your kids. But as fellow parents, we just want to make you aware. So let's pick up right where we left off last episode as Damon was just arrested by a Dallas SWAT team and is getting ready to be put on trial. That was the day the Uptown Burglaries in because they took me to Dallas County Jail that day. They processed me in, fingerprints, mugshot. They threw me in a holding cell and set my bond at $1.4 million. What? Y'all, there are 9,000 people in Dallas County Jail, one of the biggest jails in America. 9,000 people, no one, not murderers, not child molesters, not rapists had a bond of $1.4 million. My crimes are non-aggravated. No one was ever home. I didn't hurt anybody. No one got hurt. No weapons were used. Dallas County sent me the clearest signal they could have sent me. You're not going to get out of this one. We're going to keep you here until your very public trial. And man, when I tell you it was public, it was. It was on TV every day. It was a high-profile case. And the jury, they made an example out of me. But look, listen to what the jury is looking at across from them. 12 men and women from Dallas County who work hard every day for what they have. They're law-abiding citizens. They're sitting in this jury box, and they're looking at a guy across from them that had it all. Had it all, man. Everything. Had a great family. Had every opportunity. Was academically smart, athletically. Athletics, yeah. God had blessed me in every way. Every opportunity a person can want in life. I worked in the United States Congress. I worked for a guy running for president. I worked on Wall Street. All these opportunities. And to them, it's a guy that just threw it all away for drugs. And... I can't take the stand at my own trial, so I can't tell them, hey, man, look, no one wants to grow up like this. I mean, no one grows up saying, hey, I want, to be, I want to be a drug addict, I want to be an alcoholic, I want to be a burglar, I want to be a thief. Man, people grow up wanting to be a nurse. They want to be a doctor, a fireman, or a policeman. No one grows up wanting to be what I became, but I did. I became that because of substance abuse, because of addiction. And, man, they, after a six-day trial, in six days, because the evidence was so overwhelming in my guilt, I was guilty of everything they said. They went to deliberate for 10 minutes on my punishment. <laughs> oh, 10 minutes, man. I mean, yeah, I don't know how much law and order you watch, 
But if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, that's not good. That's bad for the guy at the defense table. <laughs> Defendant, yeah. They smoked me. And I came back in, they read the sentence out loud 65 years in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. That's a life sentence in Texas. 65 years. Oh my gosh. So, how do you end up free after, I think, seven years? Yeah. How does that happen? God thing. I mean, that's God opening up a, a giant door. It, it rarely ever happens that they will allow someone to leave prison on their first parole on a life sentence like that. Um, when you get past the spiritual realm of what Christ could do to open that door, you look at the, the factors of it. I did everything I was supposed to while I was in prison. I became a model inmate. I became a coffee bean. Uh, I took every class I could to better myself. And, it's, you know, when I go see the parole, the lady from parole that interviews me, I've, I've handed her this thing called a parole packet. It's got everything I've done for the past seven years. I got another chapel in prison. I took every chapel class offered, you know, every spiritual class I could get into. When I, when I wasn't taking chapel classes, I had correspondence Bible study classes. A, a lot of different churches around America will let you mail off They'll give you quizzes on different books of the Bible. You know, you read a book of the Bible, they'll ask you questions from okay. it, you send in your answers, and they send you back a little certificate that says you completed it. I've got a stack of all these certificates of all these classes I've taken, but I'm showing the parole board, this is what I've done with my time since I've been in here. And they're looking at a guy on paper that is a very low risk for them because I've got a job at a law firm waiting for me to get out of prison. This is all stuff I've been working on from the inside. My mom on the outside is helping me put together my parole packet, letters from people in the community, the police chief where I'm going to live. He's written a letter. I mean, just all these different people have gotten together, and parole makes the decision to let me go. And, I mean, it's just unheard of, man, on a life sentence. Now, now look, I'm not a free man. You're not sitting with a free man in front of you today. I've got a little more time left on parole in Texas. I'm on supervised release until the year 2073. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What? 50 years. So what does that mean? So you have to like check in every day? Every month. Tell where, every okay, month. And every tell month. them like where you're going. Every month. Ms. Braggs, my parole officer in Beaumont. I go I go see Ms. Braggs. I go pee in a cup. I pay an $18 fine a month. I'll pay $18 a month for the rest of my life. That's my parole fine. Um, I've paid my fines off of Dallas County. I owe $10,000 Dallas County. Paid that off already. But every month I go see Ms. Braggs and she'll ask me questions. Have you had any negative interactions with law enforcement? Got to answer those honestly. If you have and you don't tell them, right. you can go back to prison for lying to your parole officer. Uh, if I want to leave the state of Texas, like I did for this trip right here, mm-hmm. I have to get permission from Ms. Braggs and the state of Texas. I literally have to get a travel permit to leave Texas. And I leave, Yeah, and I leave Texas 12 to 15 times a month to speak. But when I got out of prison, my thing was like, I want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. I was, I've been the part of the problem before. That's how I got myself sent to prison. And look, I got myself sent to prison. I did the things they said I did. I broke the social contract. And when you break the social contract, there are consequences. And I think one of the problems in America right now, we've gotten so far away from consequences of our behavior, mm-hmm. consequences of our decisions. You know, Some of this is parents that, that will stick up for their kids and let their kids just do just about anything yes. and not let those kids suffer the consequences. And that's not, it's not good. Because when you finally get to a place where society said, hey, no, you're going to pay the consequences, you become like a Damon West who's been able to skirt around. And, and look, man, I was the quarterback of a high school in Texas, of Texas town. We love our high school football in Texas. It's a very big thing. Friday Night Lights kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to college and played football. I was the man. I got out of a lot of trouble because I could throw a football really well. But there came a point in time in my life when I wasn't throwing footballs anymore, when I was got into drugs. I got into bad behaviors. And, you know, the court system said, hey, man, no one's going to act like this. We're going right. to send you away for a long time. So 
being a person that has, you know, overcome that and learned how to live the right way, parole saw a guy that, hey, you could be someone that makes an example for the other people. And that's literally what I've, what I've done. I've been able to go out and share my story with countless audiences. I mean, thousands of audiences since I got out in 2015, all over the world, not just here, but in, in other countries. And um, written books, you know, just... God is doing so much stuff in my life right now, but it's because I got out of the way, let God do his job. In prison, there was this old chaplain, this lady, she died last week. Her name was D. Doucette. D. Doucette was 94 years old. She died last week. And in the change agent, I talk about her because six weeks into prison, this is when all the fighting's going on, I'm going I'm to kill myself at this point because mm. I, it was on a Friday I got jumped. And Saturday morning I got up, I said, I'm, you know, my thought was, all right, I'm going to go to the chapel. I'm going to go to the church service on Saturday morning, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to hang myself in my cell. Mm. Had it all worked out in my mind. I'm standing there in the church. There's 200 inmates in this chapel service, and uh, I, there's a tap on my shoulder, and I look back, and it's Miss D. Miss D's this little volunteer chapel. She was in her 80s at the time, and uh, she said, Mr. West, come with me. So I go with her to her office, and she sits me down in her office. She said, Mr. West, what's wrong with you today? I can see that something's bothering you. And, man, I'm thinking to myself, man, there's 200 people in a prison in this room. Everybody's bothered by something, man. This is an intense. <laughs> right. you know, everybody's yeah. going through intense personal struggles in that chapel. How did she pick me out? It's got to be a God thing, right? Totally. But I'm not there with God at that point, man. I'm, so, I'm mad at God. And, and I, I told her, Miss D, I can't take it. And I told her what I was going to do. I was going to kill myself. She's just really calm. She's like, Mr. West, you can't, you can't do that. You cannot give up on God. And, man, the minute she mentioned God, I got so mad. I'm like, what do you mean, God? How can God create a place so wicked and evil and sinister as his prison? Miss D, what do you mean, God? And she's just real calm. She says, Mr. West, you're not the first person to get angry with God. She said, the Bible's full of people that got angry with God. But they all came back to God because they learned what the secret to faith was. And I said, Miss D, I need to know what the secret to faith is. She said this. She said, if you're going to pray, don't worry. And if you're going to worry, don't pray. She said, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> That's good. You're either going to let God do his job, or you're going to continue to try to do it for him. You're going to let God drive the car, she said, or you're going to drive the car. She said, the last time you drove the car, you parked it inside of a prison. Mm. So choose who gets those keys, but choose wisely. Steph, what's most important to you when it comes to building a new home? Okay. I want a builder who's an expert in what they do, is going to be honest with me, and cares about even the smallest of details. Well, thankfully, we know just the builder. You know it. It's Jay and Connie Luby with Luby Companies. Friends, don't just take our word for it. Go check out their website at lubycompanies.com. That's L-U-E-B-B-E companies.com. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. God, I got so many stories for y'all. I'm in an AA meeting in prison. We start off every AA meeting with this beautiful prayer called the Serenity Prayer. Yes. Y'all know the Serenity Prayer? Yes. Yep. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom of the difference. So every meeting we start off with the Serenity Prayer. The guy that brings the meeting in for the free world, we'll call him Ray to protect his anonymity. Okay. Right? So he has a chalkboard behind him in the chapel. Every Wednesday morning, we go to the, to the Spiritual Awakening Sober Offenders, our AA group. We go in there that, mon- that Wednesday morning. He says, Damon, today we're going to diagram the Serenity Prayer. All right. So he draws a line from one side of the chalkboard to the other. And he said, that line represents God's line. He said, but God's line is way bigger than a chalkboard. It's like infinitely long. One horizon universe is next. He said the first part of the prayer, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. He said, the things you cannot change, Damon, are on God's line. And every time you try to touch something on God's line, 
you've hurt yourself and you've hurt other people because you're not God. And God doesn't need you to do his job. Stay off of God's line. He goes and erases a little inch out of God's line and he holds his fingers up an inch apart for the entire room to see. He said, if God's line is infinitely long, there's your line. You got an inch, an inch. He said that one inch line is called humility because he said humility is being right-sized. He said, your one inch line, that's right-sized. He said, when we are right-sized, we can be useful to other people again. He said the second part of the prayer, the courage to change the things I can. He said, the things that you can change, Damon, are on your little one-inch line. And there's four things that God gives you to work on every day that you can change. They are the four things you have control over in this life. He said, they are exactly what you think, what you say, what you feel. And lastly, you control what you do. What you think, what you say, what you feel, and what you do. He said, if it's not one of those four things, you have no control, zero control over it. So the world goes on around you. You don't control the world around you. You control the world inside you. He said the last part of the prayer was the most important part of the prayer, the wisdom to know the difference between the big line and that little line. Y'all, I can't tell you how many times a day in my life right now, outside of prison seven years later, that I tell myself, I come up to a decision, I'm like, oh, it's not on my line. That's not a mind. I've saved myself so much grief and suffering, and not just myself, but other people around me by simply saying that's not on my line. That's a diagram that always stuck with me. You wow. Miss D's diagram of the secret to faith, Ray's diagram of, of the serenity prayer. These are things that remind me what's on my line, what's not on my line, or let God do his job, you do your job. And that's, man, that's the secret to what's going on in my life, y'all. That and serving other people. Servant leadership, that's where it's at. You know what's so cool about your story? Like, you were so gone from God, but he was always there for you. He was there with Mr. Jackson. He was there with Miss C. He was there with Ray. Like, just always, like, I'm here. Like, let these people show you my love. And that's so cool. What you just said is so spot on. And it's something I talk about in any group I go speak to. Now, look, you can't get in front of corporations all the time and talk about Christ the way I like to. If if I'm speaking at a church or a faith-filled room, different presentation. But I can always add this in because there were so many different people in my life. My first cellmate in prison, Carlos, a little Hispanic guy, served 99 years for a bunch of bank robberies. It was a bank robber. Good guy, though. And he taught me a lot of wisdom about, about your thinking being the right way. He told me that he was the first guy that told me that prison was an opportunity, not a punishment. That's changing the way you see a problem. Right. You don't look at a problem anymore as like, hey, this is bad. You look at it like, okay, what good can I get from this? Or what, if, what lesson am I supposed to learn from this problem? Carlos. Mr. Jackson, Ms. D, Ray, God can use any messenger to get through to you. Some of them, they're not going to look like you. They're not going to be from the same background. One is a black Muslim man in Dallas County Jail. Another one is a little Hispanic bank robber serving life. Another one's a little old volunteer chaplain lady. Another one's this recovering drunk and alcoholic that comes and brings the meetings in, in the free world. God can use any messenger to get through to you in life, can pick anybody, but you have to be receptive to all of God's messengers to get all of those messages. Because if you shut yourself off to people that, you know, ah, it didn't look like me, didn't, that person can't possibly understand where I'm coming from. You know, they come, they're from a different part of the country than me. No, you're going to miss a message, and you don't want to miss a message. I mean, those messages, man, you know, I call them angels. There's angels all around us. You know, they're sent to help guide us. Every road that I went down in life, good or bad, by my own choosing, there were always messengers along the way. When I was younger, it was my mom and my dad. It was coaches teachers in the community Port Arthur that raised me. And as I got older in life and I chose different roads, there were always messengers waiting for me. Mr. Jackson, Carlos, all these different people, they're messengers. And you have messengers in your life too. 
I want to know what it was like that day that you walked out of that jail. Day one. Prison. And it was what, seven years and... Seven years, three months, 18 days. So what's really cool because... March 4th, which is, you know, for the, the purpose of when we're recording this was like last week. Yes. March 4th was the day on the calendar in my life that I had been out of prison more days than I was in prison. Mm-hmm. So when I said seven years, three months, 18 days, so seven years, three months, and 19 days later after I walked out was this past week. But let's go back to the day I walk out, November 16th, 2015. I'm walking out with three other guys. That's how many people are leaving prison that day. The sergeant that's walking us out gets us to the Sally Port gate. A Sally Port is a, one gate opens, you go into this little area, that gate behind you closes, and the gate in front of you opens now. Okay. Basically, so you can have controlled in, in, ingress, egress. Mm-hmm. So we get up to the gate. The sergeant says, hey, this is your last order. Don't come back. Get off of our property. When you walk out this gate, don't come back. And so I'm like, okay, cool. I can do that. So... The gates open, we stand in the middle, and then the, the, the big gate opens, and you walk out. And, these, and We all kind of walk out at the same time, and then everybody scatters. You're looking for the people that are there to pick you up. I'm looking for my mom and my dad. And I'm telling you, when I walked out of prison, the ground felt different under my feet. The sky was bluer. The grass was greener. The air was lighter. I mean, it's just, it happens in your mind like that. You're like, oh, I mean, right. this is crazy. This is freedom. You know, I'm tasting it. But as I'm going, I see my mom and dad. I'm going to run towards them. I stop because there's like a tap on my shoulder, and it's God. And he's saying, turn around. So I turn around, and I'm looking, looking back at the prison. I'm, the sergeant, everybody, you know, they're all there. I'm turning back looking at them, and God's telling me, hey, you're going to go work for me now. And this is why I'm telling you how God shows he's real. You're going to work for me now. And as long as you're working for me, and as long as this is my story, you're going to have the most incredible life. People are going to talk about this. You're going to have everything you could ever want and more. But the minute it becomes about you, you're coming back to this place. You mm. Get a good look. Almost the opposite of what Lot, when he told Lot, don't turn right. around. Yeah. He's telling me to turn, turn around. Back. Turn around, get a good look, because you're going to work for me now. And as long as you work for me, this is in the rearview mirror. But if you don't, this is your windshield. And after that, I'm like, okay, cool. And I take off running. I go to my parents. You know, we're crying and hugging. I mean, but I'm like, I'm shoving them in the car at this point. I'm like, let's go. We got to go. The guard said we got to go. It was like a bank robbery at this point. I'm like, get in the car. <laughs> so I shove, my, I shove my mom in. My dad gets in there. He's behind the wheel. He's like the wheel man on a bank robbery. So I'm in the back seat. And my dad turns around. And he's like, hey, Damon, you ready to get that Whataburger? I mean, I've been dreaming about Whataburger for seven years and three. You ever had Whataburger? They don't have Whataburger. In no, Vegas, we didn't. didn't we? we had In and Out. In and Out. In and out. Okay, no. that's never had too, Whataburger. They're not Whataburger. You got to have Whataburger if you ever get there. So anybody listening to this has ever had Whataburger, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I've been dreaming about a number two, what a size with cheese, for seven years, three months, 18 days. So my dad is like, hey, let's go eat that Whataburger. My mom is the past. She's like, Bob, hang on. Don't even go anywhere. She said, don't start the car. I got something. I got some things I need to give Damon. I'm looking at my mom like, we got to go. Yeah. She said, Damon, just relax. She said, I have three tools you're going to need to get through this life. So the first tool she gives me is an iPhone. Now, y'all, when I got arrested, phones had buttons. I can't even get this thing to turn Oh, yeah. that's true. Yeah, what? So technology gap, right? Seven years and three months, 18 days. But phones had buttons in 2008. That's right. For an object. Yeah. So I'm like looking at this iPhone. I can't even get it to light up. And uh, she can see the frustration. She's like, Damon, just relax. I'm going to show you how to work it. You'll pick it up immediately. But she said, these phones can do everything. She's telling me about FaceTime. A video conference in your pocket, man. Back when I worked in the world, the video conference, you went to this one boardroom that had a big triangle speaker thing in the yes. middle of the table and they wheeled in a TV. Yes. That's your video conference. Yes. Now it's in your pocket. I'm like, wow. 
She's telling me about social media. She's like, Damon, you can stay in touch with the world with these things. Next thing she gives me is my driver's license. I have found a way to renew my driver's license in the state of Texas from inside of a prison. And so she said, she said so you got a driver's license. And you can borrow my truck to drive around until you forge your own car. You got a phone. You can stay in touch with the world. She said, what's the third thing I have for you? Now, my mom is very spiritual. I was like, Mom, look, I know it's going to be something spiritual, but look, I'm in the best place I've ever been. You know, God's driving the car. I'm just a passenger. She said, you always talk too much. She said, stick out your wrist. And I stuck out my wrist, and she put this bracelet on my wrist, which I don't have anymore because it broke. And this bracelet is a bunch of fishing lures all connected together. It's called a fisherman bracelet. Get him a James Avery. Okay. And whenever I was in prison, I would go to these church retreats. These men would come in. They called ACTS, Adoration, Community, Theology, and Service. ACTS is an acronym, right? And these men would come in with these Christian retreats, and they would, for four days, they'd be in the prison. They'd give up their jobs, their lives, their homes, their families. They'd give everything away for four days to spend time with us. These guys visited us. They loved on us. And when I say they loved on us, man, there were guys that I was locked up with that they didn't have anybody. They didn't have it as good as I had it, man. These guys would hug you right when you walk into the gymnasium. There's 36 guys from the free world, 66 guys that are inmates in this one gymnasium. There was a guy that got a hug, man, and all these guys were swimming around hugging him. Wow. Man, this guy hadn't had a hug in 22 years, man. This guy had – think about living in a life where you have no human interaction like that for 22 years. You, you read in the story. You lost hope, you know, because you don't have that interaction. Um, those guys, look, they come in with those retreats. And you got to go to go fishing. You need the right bait. They brought food. They got ooh. They brought some good food inside the prison. <laughs> and that's what you got to bring in to get these guys in. I mean, I, I'm at this point in prison. I'm already. I'm all in on Christ. I, I want to go to the retreats anyway, just for the fellowship. You know, for the singing. For yes. The, there's guys you got to lure in there. You got to have the right bait. I mean, they brought gumbo. They brought pizza. They brought donuts. They thought they brought stuff that was so foreign inside that prison that I mean, people would smell it. You know, but they brought the Holy Spirit. To get to these guys' souls, you have to go through some of their stomachs. And that's what they did. And, and on Sunday, when the retreat was over, I called my mom. After the first retreat I went to, I was on, when I was in prison, go back to the pod. I called my mom. I'm like, Mom, I had the best time in prison this weekend. And my mom's like, what's the best time in prison? What do you mean? What'd you do? And I, I told her, I said, these guys came in. They loved on his mom. I said, when I get out of prison, I got to find these guys. These are going to be my brothers. And I'm, this is how I'm going to start my new life. And so the day I'm getting out of prison, the third thing she has for me is a bracelet, and it's all these fishing lures hooked together called a fisherman bracelet. She said, Damon, when you were in prison, you went to these action retreats. And she said, in the free world, every man and woman that's been through an action retreat wears one of these bracelets. That's how they identify themselves with in public, right? So you see someone wearing that, they're your brother or sister in Christ, right? And she said, I signed you up for the first action retreat you're going to have in the free world. Two months. She said, go find your friends. Y'all, this is one of the best gifts I've ever gotten in my entire life. Because two months after I walked out of prison, I go into this retreat. And now it's in the free world, not in a prison. Right. And um, it's a men's retreat. And they have women's retreat for women. But this men's retreat, I got to go for four days on the outside and spend time with guys that uh, they shared their successes in life, which is great, you know. Because that's where you find your mentors. And having a mentor, having a coach, that's important, man. You got to have somebody that's been a little further down the road than you. But more importantly, they shared their failures with me. Failures, um, jobs that they failed at, marriages that they failed at, you know, families that they lost. Um, they shared their failures with me so I wouldn't have to fail on my own. 
And it's something I never forgot because it, that's servant leadership, man. Servant leadership is when you try to help other people reach their goals in life. And I, I'll never forget those guys. And, and I started going to retreats with those guys on the outside. Then eventually they got it to where I could go back on the inside. And go, but now I was bringing the retreats into the guys in prison. In fact, the first time I went back to a retreat after prison was in my old prison. Mm. Really? Yeah. Y'all, I live, I live four miles away from my old prison. I live no. right down the road from it. I jog by it. The guys what? see the guys in the rec yard. They no wave way. up. Absolutely. I'm on the other side of the fence now, but I see them. And I've got such access to the prison system. Like, I can go into that prison anytime I want. I've, I've been at home on a Saturday before. And I say, hey, Kendall, I'm going to go to prison go hang out with the guys. All right. Be careful, you know. And I Whoa. go into the prison and go into the chapel and just hang out. I'm bringing hope. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know? And also what I'm doing is I get to dip my toe in that toxic water, that prison. The sights, the sounds, the smells of the institution for about two hours and I get to leave. More importantly, I get to walk out the gate. Yeah. Thank God on the way out. All right, Steph, I'm going to test you again here. What is your favorite book of all time? Uh, obviously, it's the Bible, Kevin. <laughs> yes. Nailed it. Very good. This time, you didn't say the book we wrote called You Met Her Where. But it's still a really good book. That is true. And it would make a great gift for friends or relatives on their birthday or for Christmas. Friends, you can order your copy of our book titled You Met Her Where at KevinAndSteph.com. And we will make sure to personally sign a copy for you or whoever you want. And as always, thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. Damon, I'm amazed when I see the mugshot of you as a broken man, as you're getting arrested, you're going into prison, compared to what you even look like today. Like, just even looking at you, you can tell, completely different man. Well, yeah, it's, you can tell, you know, for lack of better words, evil yeah. and light. Oh, that's, that's a, that's a fair amazing. description. That's a fair description. Mm-hmm. Because the, the life of a drug addict that's committing crimes... That's evil. There's nothing good about that. You're, you're under control of the devil. I mean, it's just you're not who you were born to be, who you're meant to be. What you see today is who I was always meant to be. And what you're seeing in the mugshot, you're seeing someone that's not living in, in the light of what they're supposed to be living in. But today you're seeing a guy that is and the shine, the glow that comes from that, man. Yeah. We can all do that. We yeah. all have the power. You don't have to be speaking on the world stage or going around the world and writing books. You can just be someone that's a positive influence in the world around you. You can be a coffee bean anywhere you are. Well, Damon, this is one of the few times I've never given fun facts on a guest <laughs> because Besides this is Bob so Bodine. good. Bob mm-hmm. Bodine. Yeah, yeah. You and Bob Bodine. Yeah. Yes. Are the, I think the only two people that I've never given fun facts on. We it's like, to it. I'm just going to shut up and let you go <laughs> because that's amazing. But the one fun fact I did have here was you have now written or co-written five books, mm-hmm. including the one that was just released in February called How to Be a Coffee Bean. 111 Life-Changing Ways to Create Positive Change. Can you tell us about this book? And I'm also curious, what is it like when John Gordon comes to you and says, I want you to write a book with me? Like I was telling Steph earlier today, I would be freaking out because for those who are not aware of John Gordon, he's authored or co-written like 30 books, New York Times bestselling author. His one book, The Energy Bus, sold over 2 million copies alone. So when this guy comes to you and wants to co-write something, what is that experience like? I'll tell you how it went down. So it was August of 2018. One year before this, I go speak to Dabo Sweeney's team at Clemson. I meet Dabo at an award show one night. There's eight coaches there. Seven of them tell me no. I thought the interaction with Dabo was a no, too. But a few months later, his, one of his coaches got in touch with me. He said, hey, man, Coach, Coach Sweeney met you at an award show in Houston. He'd love to have you come talk to the team. So Dabo was the first 
big time college football coach in America that really got behind me. He, he called Nick Saban. He called Kirby Smart. Wow. He tells all these coaches about me. But the real big thing Dabo did in my life happened in August of 2018 when I was I was working at the law firm in, in Beaumont at the time. My cell phone rings on the other the other end of the cell phone is John Gordon, this massive motivational speaker and author, the Energy Bus guy. Yes, the guy that I follow on Twitter every morning for my inspirations on my phone. And I'm like, dude, John, <laughs> kind of like you were talking about, like freaking out. I'm like, dude, John, I don't, I can't sit still. I'm like, dude, I know who you are. How do you know who I am? He said, Dabo Sweeney. He said, I was just talking to Clemson's football team. Dabo brings me in the office to tell me your story, and he said, Damon. He said this in 2018 before the pandemic. He said, the world needs a coffee bean message. Let's mm-hmm. deliver this message to the world. Will you write a book with me? And the first thing I told John Gordon, here's the truth. First thing I told John Gordon is, man, John, you go write the book, man. You don't need me. You're John Gordon, man. You go write the book. I don't care. And John is, I mean, he's my best friend and, and mentor. John's like, Damon, it's not going to work like that. He said, God has already shown me what the cover looks like, and your name's in that cover. What? He calls them downloads. He gets from God. He, gets, he said immediately when Dabo told him the story, he said, I could picture the book. I could see the cover. He saw it. And uh, he said, you got you to write this book with me. And, and so I did. And the cool tie about the book is that John told me in that first conversation, I'll split everything with you 50-50. And John has a publishing deal. This is before his newest deal. But his publishing deal at that time was massive, too. He got $100,000 advance for every book he wrote. Okay. So half of $100,000 was fifty. So John sends me a check for 50000 My mom and my dad, when I went to my trial, they cashed in some of their retirement. They don't have a lot of money. They cashed in some of their retirement, $50,000 to give me my lawyers. No. So when, um, when the check came in, I called my parents. They lived right down the road. I said, hey, you're going to be home? Yeah, yeah, we're at home. All right, I got something for you. I'll be over there in a second. I'll drop it off. So I go over there, and I walk up to the door, and my dad's like, well, what were you bringing over? You don't have anything with you. And I gave him the check. My dad was like stunned. He was tears were coming to his eyes. He's like, he's like, Damon, I never thought we'd see this money. And I, and I told him when I got out, I'll pay you back. And I was already on a, like a payment plan. I give him a couple hundred dollars a month, you know, but I'm, you know, I make $30,000 a year when I get out of prison. So I don't have the ability to pay him back quickly, but dropped it on him at one time. And they're like, man, are you sure you don't need this? And I was like, that's your money. Oh, take your money. back." So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why I think the coffee bean did what it did. I mean, the coffee bean became a bestseller here in America. It's got a global publishing deal attached to it, meaning that it's in almost every language in the world now. Chinese, Spanish, Arabic, French, Italian, German, Vietnamese, all what? these different languages in the world. Yeah, they all have the story, this book of the coffee bean on their shelves. But, you know, it all goes back to that one night when I met Dabo Sweeney at the awards show and when I'm going around the room asking every coach to let me come and talk to her team. They're all telling me no. I'm getting rejected everywhere. Dabo feels like a rejection, but I, I refused to leave that night without getting that last no from Dabo. It ended up being the biggest yes in my life. And oh, I tell people all the time, you can't, you can't give up before the miracle happens. You can't quit before God can do his job. You've you got to do your part in this thing called life, which is where your free will is. You have to get up every day. You have to put one foot in front of the other. You've got to take action. No one can take your action for you. you just, they just can't do it. You have to put in the work. And, and, and people sometimes want to believe in this thing called the overnight success. There's no such thing as an overnight success. Because, man, life is a long time to live. It takes a lot of hard work. And, you know, the overnight success in my life, it, it started in a maximum security prison cell, you know, or started in jail when I surrendered on you know, May 18, 2009 and said, I can't do it anymore. That's where this journey began, man. It's, it's not, I just walked out of prison and started speaking places. 
I go. I, I speak to Dabo's team in August of 2017. I walked out in November of 15. So it's like 20 months out. I'm okay. talking to Clemson. But in that 20 months, I've got this dream of sharing my story with college football programs and other audiences. There's just not a lot of places for me to go speak. I'm just out of prison. I'm an unknown. But in my parents' spare bedroom, there was a mirror in there, just a mirror that came with the room. And uh, I got in front of that mirror every single night and practiced the presentation. Did you? To, oh, every night. I timed myself. I had, at, the, at that time, I was using a PowerPoint. I had a little clicker, and I practiced it. Every, every night that I wasn't speaking somewhere, which was most nights, I was in front of that room. I mean, for, for two years, I got a I rep in every night. If you like what you hear, please tell someone about us. As soon as this episode is over, go tell your spouse, your closest friend, a parent, a coworker, or share one of our posts on social media. However, if you don't like what you're hearing, please do not. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. Just disregard this message. Don't worry about it. Forget about us. Yep. Go on with your merry day. And to get more information about us or our entire catalog of episodes, be sure to check us out at kevinandsteph.com. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. Um, in the book, How to Be a Coffee, you said to talk about it a little bit. One of them is about getting your reps. Another one is about having a rookie mindset. This principle I live by, a rookie mindset. I attack everything today the same way I did when I was just getting started doing this stuff. You know, I still reach out to people through Instagram and Twitter and all that, message people that are bigger than me to try to get, you know, Ed Milet. Ed Milet's yes. a great example of that. The way I got onto Ed Milet, I mean, for over a year, I follow Ed Milet. I listen to his podcast, and he's telling stories about his dad, who's a recovering alcoholic that changed everybody's life, changed the entire family tree because he got into AA. Right now, I can, I can relate to this. I'm like, I got to get on Ed's show because I've got this coffee bean message that his audience needs to hear. It could change lives. It would change my life if I got on Ed's show. It's massive, right? So John Gordon becomes friends with Ed Milet. John, will you talk to Ed for me? So John talks to Ed, but nothing happens, right? Dabo Sweeney becomes Ed's friend because Ed's daughter Bella is going to go to Clemson. So okay. I, I see on Ed's story one day that Ed, because I follow Ed, I see on his Ed's story, he's going to Clemson, you know, to watch the spring football game or something like that. I'm like, I called Dabo up. Dabo's like <laughs> one of my best friends to this day. I'm like, Dabo, Ed's coming down there. I saw it, man. Will you talk to Ed for me? I really want to get on his show, his podcast. Dabo texts me, hey, I'm going to talk to Ed for you, but still nothing's happening. And I'm shooting videos and send them to Ed. I, I send messages to him through Instagram Messenger. The only way I can con communicate with him is through Instagram Messenger. I would learn later when I got to meet Ed and uh -huh. we became friends. Ed and I are real good friends now. Ed gets about seven or 8,000 messages a day in Instagram. Oh my gosh. That's the life of an influencer. Are you serious? Seven to 8,000 a day. A day. A day in Instagram. That's one platform. That's how many messages Ed Milet gets a day. Oh, so sometimes he would answer them. Sometimes he wouldn't. And, and right. I, I mean, but I'm like, I keep digging and digging. April of last year, uh, my wife and I are in Mexico, and I got married. That's another thing that's happened in my yes. life. Big thing. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. We got married on May 18th, 2019. And if you remember from my story, May 18th, 2009 was the day I got sentenced to life in prison. Oh, man. Ten years to the day. I go from being sentenced to life in prison as my wife says, you went from one life sentence to another. So, much better cellmate this time. Yes. Oh, much better arrangement. This is this is this is working out well. So, uh, so last April we we're taking an early uh, anniversary trip because in May I got a lot of speaking stuff going on, and um, I'm looking around. I'm thinking to myself, we're at this beautiful resort. I'm like, this is a good place to shoot a video for Ed. This would make a great backdrop for an Ed video. So, and my wife at this point is like, she's. She catches me from time to time shooting videos for Ed or leaving matches. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm sending Ed a message. Ed, <laughs> she's like, Ed's not responding to you. Stop doing that. So I'm doing this video. I'm walking around. I've got my phone out in front of me. And, and 
Kendall, my <laughs> wife, walks up, and I'm just about done with the video, and I hit in. She's like, what are you doing? Who are you talking to? I'm like, I'm sending Ed a video. She's like, Damon, stop. She said, we're on our anniversary trip. Please just stop. Just forget about this Ed Milet thing. It's not happening. I hit send. Send it through Instagram Messenger. A few weeks later, it was May, I'm going to tell you the date. It was May 12th, 2022. My phone says, Ed Milet sent you a message. I opened it up an Instagram Messenger, and he's telling me, he's like, all right, Damon West, May 18th, 4.30 p.m., Sirius XM Studios. He gives me the address, gives me his assistant's name that runs the podcast. He said, all right, this is your window of opportunity. And that was it. I got six days to figure out how to get to L.A. Uh-huh. And I've got to get permission for parole to do this. It's going to happen after oh, the that's true. I've got a presentation on the 17th in one part of Texas and on the 19th in Dallas, Texas. And I'm looking at the map. The 18th falls right between them. I'm like, all right, I will drive six hours to Dallas get on a plane at DFW Airport, a nighttime flight, fly to L.A., I'll do the podcast on the 18th, I'll sleep in the airport, catch the red eye out, and I can make my morning presentation on Thursday the 19th. Boom, 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 make it all work. And that's the overnight success, right? I'm shooting videos from the airport where I'm showing my bed where I'm sleeping at the airport because I've got to sleep in the airport literally <laughs> to make it happen. And I don't know if y'all have heard the Ed Milet podcast yes, I did with him. I did. Ed and I knew each other for two minutes before we hit record. I go in there. Really? Yeah, meet Ed, we shake hands. We we talk for about two minutes, just back and forth about people we know, people we have in common. He's like, all right, let's record this episode. Hits record. One of the most epic conversations I've ever had with somebody. And Ed's a, you know. He knew your story well. He, he's a really good listener. There's a lot of homework and stuff like that. Like you, you've, you've prepared really well too. Don't oh, tell yourself you. short. But that conversation with Ed, I mean, it changed a lot of things in my life because, I mean, it got into Ed's world and I got people messaging me all the, through my website. Hey, we'd like to have you come speak here, come speak there. Thousands of people reached out to me on Instagram and all these other social media apps and telling me what the Coffee Bean message did for them. Like, oh my God, that I needed to hear that. And, and in that, that story, I go into the whole thing about what's on my line, what's on God's line. There are a lot of things I got to get out there. I wanted to get as much as I could in one hour, kind of like this right here. I mean, how long have we been going right now? We've been going over, way an, over hour. an hour. Yeah. We just, have we really? Yes. Yeah, but it's oh okay. Oh, my gosh. But we're just, it just, there's so much going on in my story. But that's the part of it that is what I'm required to do. Like, this story that I have is God's story. I'm supposed to go out and share it and tell it and give it. And if there's opportunities to, to do that, I got to do that. So it's like that's, that's part of it. Well, listeners. For more information about Damon, you can go to his website, damonwest.org. His Facebook account is Damon Joseph West. His Instagram is Damon West and then number seven. And we'll put all these links in our show notes so you can just click on it and go right to it. Well, Damon, I knew this was going to be good. And this just well exceeded my expectations. So thank you for doing this. And you actually, you almost made me cry. And I, I haven't I cried. cried in 162 episodes. I totally cried. <laughs> totally, totally cried. Made I cried. I was crying. I oh, mean, my gosh, I, dude. I can't tell some of those stories without getting emotional. Man, that check to your parents, mm. that about did me in. Yeah. I had to look away. Yeah. That's what you call God mode. Oh, my Absolutely. gosh. Right there. They're same amount, same number. Amazing. Check in my hand. You know, thanks for taking the time to meet with me while I was in transit in Columbus, man. This is a great way to spend friends, we want to encourage you to please follow us wherever you listen to this, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or one of the other platforms. You guys, it's completely free. And while you're there, feel free to give us a rating or a nice review. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story.